PodRocket is sponsored by LogRocket, a front-end monitoring and product analytics solution. Just to say it's not really sponsored by anyone, it's sponsored by us, LogRocket, and we're giving it away for free. The podcast is free, the product is not free. There's a free trial, we could split hairs about whether or not that's free to you, but anyway, that's it. There are no more ads. If you're interested and you want us to know that you came from the podcast, please go to logrocket.com slash podrocket. If you don't care, logrocket.com works just fine. Thanks. Hi, and welcome to Pod Rocket. In this episode, I talk with Cassidy Williams about what it's like to be tech famous, whatever that means. Web developer comedy as a genre, and what it's like to create content specifically for web developers. We also got into developer experience as a discipline, and we touch a little bit on the future and importance of niche communities. There's a lot there, and I enjoyed our conversation, so let's get started. Hey, Cassidy, welcome to Pod Rocket. Hi, thank you for having me. It's awesome to have you here. Ben is here too. Hi, Ben. Hey, Brian. Hey, Cassidy. How are you? Good. You seem good. I'm great. Awesome. Cassidy, do you know how difficult it is to prepare to have you on a podcast and then think of an original question that you haven't already answered a few hundred times on other podcasts? Oh, I can only imagine. I mean, I guess you kind of do know because you're the one that's sitting there doing the other podcasts and answering the questions. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) The reason this comes up, right, is because I was listening to, I don't know if it was the most recent podcast that you did, the React podcast. Mm -hmm. And... All of those questions kind of in the first 45 minutes, I was like, those are good questions. I, I would have asked those. Those are good. <laughs> but they were mostly around like how you think about content and TikTok and how that works. And what I really liked about your answer there was it resonated with me when I think most content creators is like, you said that you just kind of stumbled into content. Yeah, that's accurate. <laughs> but like now it's half your brand. We had Jessica Chan from Coder Coder on and she was talking about how like, She did the same thing, but we talked about how Instagram and TikTok are like the hardest platforms to start with. And I don't know if that's where you would think that's where you necessarily started, but it feels like maybe that's where you started. Yeah. I mean, I've been on the gram and on on Twitter and, and all of these platforms for a while, but it wasn't until I started making just tech joke TikToks that people started to actually notice the content that I was making. I was kind of just doing it for the lulls on my own accounts. And I was just like, eh, you know, the 12 people watching, they're having a good time, whatever I would make a pun or something. But then once I started making just the short TikTok style videos on my Twitter, that's that's when suddenly it became a thing that I didn't expect to get huge for me. That's so like, we have not tried to be funny at Log Rocket, <laughs> at least not intentionally. And I think so far that's good. But like, how much time do you ever think like, is this joke going to work? Will the audience enjoy it? Or is it mostly for me? I mean, I know that you said this kind of a little bit, like there sometimes, you know, right? Like 10 people will just laugh and that's it. Yeah. No, I, I definitely go into pretty much every joke expecting that it might be a, just a small handful who think it's funny. There are some where I'm just like, you know, this is broad enough that quite a few people might like this. A lot of times there are jokes that are very, very specific to one genre so much so where I'm just like, you know, there's going to be less than a hundred people who even know what I'm joking about when I specifically mention this one musical and this one character in this one musical and they know React.js and they know this particular hook in React.js and how it could relate to this character. Like Some of them are very specific to my sense of humor and it works out when people actually do like them. I would say it works out. It seems to be working out. 
Yeah. I don't know where you find the time to do all of the things that you do. Like when you think about the different platforms that you're on and that you're working on, like how do you think about pairing either the joke or the message with the platform? You know, like if you're doing a newsletter or you're streaming, I mean, sometimes it's probably really obvious, right? Like if you go to Heinz Field and make a joke about hindsight 2020 vision 2020. and hindsight, right? That was- so that's good. <laughs> I, I liked it. Thank you. Sure. So that probably belongs on Instagram, but do you ever think about like, what's the best medium for this? Or is it obvious? This is again, one of those things that I kind of stumbled into and it became a thing. So for example, you mentioned my newsletter. I've been doing my newsletter since early 2017. I think I started it in March 2017-ish. And that I was just like, you know, I'm going to do this newsletter just so that way someday when I start producing more online courses, I'll be able to tell people about them. And maybe I can force myself to read more newsletter links and stuff if I put them in a newsletter myself. And now it's almost four years later and the thing is still kicking and, and I'm getting lots of content out there. And it's it's basically my main way to talk to a lot of people now. And, and it was something that started as something that might be small, and then it became huge. And kind of similarly, even my own Twitter account, I got it ages ago, and I kind of used it as a bookmarking feature. So that way I could put links that I wasn't reading into a tweet so I could come back to it later. You can see this trend. Then slowly but surely, instead of just posting articles other people wrote, I started posting my own. And then I started posting my own thoughts. And then I would post jokes, but again, I wasn't as well known. And then suddenly when those jokes were in video form, suddenly I was. So all all of these different mediums, it's truly been just kind of improvising and figuring out, ah, that's kind of working. Let's go with this. And, and it's and it's rolled that way. And that's just kind of how it's worked out. I've, I have never intentionally tried to become some kind of like, ah, yes, this is going to be the newsletter for all of front end development or anything like yeah. that. It's, it's truly just been, eh, let's provide a resource for people that forces me to do something. <laughs> no, that makes sense. I, I mean, the reason I asked is when, I mean, we don't have a newsletter, but when we started the blog, we were kind of the same way, right? Is like on the Log Rocket blog, it was like, well, we didn't invent the idea. Let's just kind of do it well and, and see how it works. Mm-hmm. But the more content creators I get a chance to talk to, I like to sort of listen to how they think about making stuff. Like I know why I'm doing it, which is sort of obvious. But again, going back to your React podcast, you said being... Was it tech famous? Look, I know no one wants to be called an influencer. No one wants to be, I don't know. A tech I don't know what influencer. The, a tech, right. <laughs> but it's not that advantageous beyond getting your foot in the door. Mm-hmm. So if that's true, why do it? Yeah, it's a good question. And sometimes when I'm just like, oh, it's time for my weekly stream, I think, do I have the energy for this? Why have I been doing this? <laughs> Those kinds of thoughts do happen in my mind. But it's something that I do because I want to give back to the tech community. It, it's something where I, I start it as some kind of experiment for myself. And then I'm like, you know, this could be useful for people. And then I spin it out. And that's been the story for so much of my content, for for lack of a better phrase, for, for my open source projects and stuff. A lot of times, for example, I have a to-do list app. It's a desktop app that I built for myself. And I was like, you know, I'll open source it. Maybe other people will find it useful. And now people use it and people find it useful. And I wrote a guide for getting a job mostly so I wouldn't have to rewrite a cover letter from scratch every single time for myself. And turns out that was a useful resource. And now I got a message earlier today saying someone used that cover letter template and they got an interview. And so it's something that I do for myself, but I like being able to give back to other people to make their lives a little bit easier than it was for me getting into the industry and and trying to do well in the industry. 
I'm kind of heartened by that because it seems to be a pretty common sentiment when I talk to people. It's like, well, I'd like to sort of give more than I take, mm-hmm. which seems nice. It's a nice industry in that way most of the time. <laughs> I think so. I mean, yeah. the content for web devs is, I mean, I feel like it's changed a little bit in the last kind of three and a half years that I've been around it. But like the content landscape as a whole, there are so many little kind of nooks and crannies for individual creators, for, I don't know, for lack of a better phrase, corporate content. What do you think the audience is like? Talking to Jessica Chan, she was saying like, I think that there's really enough room for everybody. You have to kind of find the person you want to learn from that kind of resonates with you. Mm -hmm. I agree with that completely because there are some people where I know that they're great teachers. I just don't really vibe with them. I don't, uh, Mm -hmm. I follow a certain cadence when I'm trying to learn and, and it's, it's similar to whether you're learning from a video tutorial or a live stream or a blog post or a tweet thread or a documentation, like people learn different ways, learning by doing. And I think it's very similar in that kind of content space as well. Some people, they like reading from certain authors. Maybe it's because they're funny or maybe it's because they go in very deep depth. I know just on my team at Netlify, we all kind of have very different strengths and try to learn from each other because even though we all kind of focus on our own different frameworks and our own different technologies and stuff, my coworker, Jason, for example, he writes incredibly verbose blog posts. Every single time we're just like, oh, Jason's writing a blog post. <laughs> Yay, we get to review it because it's always like 3000 words long. Yeah. Meanwhile, if I'm writing a blog post, chances are it will be less than 200 words just because I try to write succinct things and and then just ship it. And you can read a lot of short blog posts or one really meaty long blog post. I think my boss, Sarah, is like that too. She wrote a 60-page blog post on AWS last year, and it was a long one. (laughs) So uh, it, it really, depending on the different personalities of people writing things, making content and stuff, there's there's always space for more because you never know if the content that you're making will vibe with someone who's trying to learn. It's cool that you have the freedom, really, you, like the team at Melfi and you like to do 3,000 word blog posts or yeah. <laughs> I don't know how many words are in 60 pages, a lot. Too many. She knows that. I, I, I didn't. Okay. I was like, I don't know. I, I don't want to get in the middle. But it is neat to hear what other people are doing and mm-hmm. really why. And like for next year, or I guess this year, are there some areas that you're looking to focus on more or less that are more exciting or really just kind of like you feel like there's a gap? I mostly just want to automate myself a little bit more because there's a lot of things that I do very, very manually that I probably don't have to. And both for my content, but for other things tech-wise and stuff. Like, for example, I always share certain links when people are just like, hey, do you have a recommendation for a mechanical keyboard? I always refer them to this one blog post that a friend of mine wrote. Whenever people are just like, hey, can you give me advice on getting a job? I always refer to that one GitHub guide that I told you about. There's these kinds of things. I want to build myself a URL shortener that I build myself so that way I can open source it, show people how to do it, but then also be able to actually use it so that way I can share links better. Similarly, for things that I get often, companies often reach out and say, hey, I'd like to sponsor your newsletter. And I have to figure out manually in my head, okay, what weeks are actually free coming up? Because I just haven't automated that yet because I haven't had to. This is the first year where people are actually like, hey, we're planning it out throughout the next year and we want to actually get a sponsorship scheduled and I don't have a plan for that. And so later today, I'm planning on making a spreadsheet and we'll see if that's the way to do it. And so a a lot of my goals this year are really just optimizing some of the things that I do outside of work so that I don't have to do it during the workday and so that I don't 
have to just work many, many hours a day to get everything done. Yeah. It seems like a lot of the things that you do outside of work are also work. Yeah. (laughs) There's like a meme of a child where there's a boot on his head and he's crying, but then you zoom out and you see that the boot is in his hand and he's stepping on his own face. (laughs) I think of that meme often, like I signed myself up for this. And so it it is work outside of work, but it's fun because I know that it's helping people and, and I know that people enjoy it. And I do like telling jokes and I do like putting together my newsletter, but it is also work. And so automating that kind of stuff will make it feel a little bit less like work and and allow me to enjoy it a little bit more. Yeah. I imagine a lot of the work outside of work hopefully does kind of play into some of what you do at work. And so Mm -hmm. I was curious to hear about kind of how you think about balancing your side projects and your personal brand with, you know, your responsibilities at Netlify and maybe some of the ways that there's, um, I'm trying to not use the word synergy because it seems like synergy <laughs> is one of those silly corporate buzzwords, but Business. how there might be synergy between your personal <laughs> brand, the content you do under your personal brand versus what you do at Netlify. We have a phrase that we use on our team a lot because a lot of people on my team do stuff outside of work where we say, use all parts of the buffalo, where every single time one of us makes something, we try to kind of just use that thing to death. And there have been times where I've built a demo so that way I could learn a feature And then I'll write a blog post about that feature. And then I'll give a conference talk about that. And then I'll record a podcast about that conference talk, about that conference, about that blog post, about that project. And so it it kind of ends up being both work-related and also personal. And I also got to learn something and I got to share it. And we try to do that a lot where I mentioned Jason, he does a streaming show every week, twice a week, and he brings on different people onto his show and he calls it Learn With Jason and they show him how to build something and he learns a new technology. He'll write a blog post about it. He'll put the video on YouTube. He'll write conference talks about it. And then at work, he even reaches out to those people saying, by the way, if you want to partner with Netlify, we have these things. And then he makes that work. And so the synergy happens. And and I, a lot of people on our team, there is that separation. And we're not, I promise we're not all working all the time, but it is very convenient when it works out that the stuff that we're doing outside of work happens to help with our jobs inside of work as well. No, that's really cool, actually. I mean, because the second half of that is, it's just all marketing. I mean, I don't mean to say that if it's a dirty word. Eh, it's not. It's real. (laughs) I mean, it's what we would do. And I think if we had a developer advocate team or developer experience team, we would do something really similar. And I I can't resist shouting out the fact that we are hiring for a developer advocate (laughs) on our team. So what a perfect segue. (laughs) (laughs) So because we've been looking for someone to do just that, I've been thinking a lot about the skills that go into developer experience or whatever you might call Mm -hmm. it. And some of that really is... It's marketing. (laughs) It's marketing. It's being developer famous to some extent. Not always. Like it's not a prerequisite, but sometimes it's it's definitely not. And if you're interested, again, my boss, Sarah Dresner, she actually wrote a really big blog post that she released today as we were recording of what developer experience looks like at Netlify and how our org is split out. But we definitely are very much like you don't have to have a big Twitter following to be successful at the company. You have to know how to communicate to developers, though. And so as a result, being able to communicate to developers often does lead to bigger followings just because that's what happens. But really, it's about amplifying the developer community, listening to the developer community and getting feedback from them and and figuring out what makes them tick and then bringing that to the product teams and saying, okay, this is what we have to build or 
bringing back to our team. Sometimes our team is the group that builds stuff in the company. And so, yes, having a following can help in a lot of cases. If I want people to look at my blog posts, I know if I tweet it, I will get more eyes than if the Netlify account tweets it, just because that's how it is. But if I want to amplify something at Netlify, nobody requires me to use my own personal account for work. It's just kind of an added bonus if I choose to. Yeah. It seems like the best way to be influential is to do something worth influencing, like worthwhile, right? Like that's kind of a circular thing. Yeah. Because we we all don't want to be just shills for our own company because developers can see through that. You don't want to, people will be just like, well, you're just saying that because you work there. You never want people to be at that point. You want people to see that you're doing helpful work and it just happens to be related to the company that you work for. And that's a very subtle art because I've seen so many people And honestly, even me in in the past, where a lot of people end up kind of tying their identity to where they work or what they're working on. And if that ever changes, or if you kind of get caught up in trying to defend a certain technology or defend your company against naysayers or something, it can look a little cringy. And so you, you you have to figure out that balance so that way you don't fall into that trap. For sure. To a lesser degree, it's something that I think about like if there's content on the Log Rocket blog, at some point, you'll probably hear about Log Rocket at the very end, and you can yeah. skip it if you want. Like, make it as unobtrusive as humanly possible, and you can sort of take it or leave it. And I think that's so far, it seems to be going okay. I think that is the key to success in DevRel, honestly, is, is mm. there's the phrase like a rising tide raises all boats. Like, just contribute. And when people see that you're helping the community, not only is the community better because you're rising that tide, you're providing more resources to people, but then people are just like, hey, they're a good crew. That's good to know. And and it's really good both for your perception, but also just for the community in general. Yeah. And like you said, if things change and you find yourself somewhere else kind of talking about personal brand and you know, like you establish yourself as being sort of trustworthy, you know, you're not just shilling for the place where you work. Which right. Ben makes me do all the time. Oh, it's terrible. Ben. <laughs> I hate Ben. <laughs> <laughs> so thinking more about content for developers, who do you think's doing like a really good job right now? Oh, besides there's so many people the two doing of us. Really good jobs. Oh yeah. Besides you both. You're doing right. amazing. <laughs> the two names that came to mind was first Tamira James. She is doing all of the things as we speak. I, I don't actually think she's working full time for anyone right now. She's just making stuff and she's been doing workshops and writing for O'Reilly. She's been helping with this coding boot camp. She runs this organization called Technigal LA, which is just for women in tech in Los Angeles. And and she she's been doing so many things and putting out so many resources. It's really impressive to see all of the content she's been producing. And then also Nader Dabit. He's over at AWS Amplify and he just puts together really, really nice, concise bits of technology that are easy to understand. For example, the framework Remix is in alpha right now, I think, or pre-alpha. And I'm very curious about it. I've, I've played around a little bit with it. And he wrote up just, hey, I played around with it. Here's a brief intro to Remix just based on what I've tried. And it's so nice and useful and concise. And earlier today, I think he put together, hey, this is a sample e-commerce site. If you want to make something with Next.js, with Tailwind, deploy it wherever you want. Here are the things that you need. And and I appreciate how concise his resources are and just straight to the point. I've seen his stuff for a while. And he's one of the many, many people that I've sort of stalked 
very politely over the last few years. I'm like, hey, do you want to maybe, I don't yeah. know, do you want to maybe work together? Yeah, he's cool. I got to meet him right before the pandemic destroyed things. Uh, it was literally, I think, end of February 2020 was when I got to meet him in person for the first time at an event uh, out in Europe. And it was really cool meeting him. And we were just like, oh, we're going to the same event in a couple months. Cool. I'll see you there. And then we never saw each other again. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I was going to ask earlier, like, what is the future of mm-hmm. kind of DevRel or developer experience? What does it look like? But like without conferences, it, at least in the short term. Yeah. There's been tons of online conferences, almost almost too many. I yeah. definitely had a stint last year where I, I think between online conferences and podcasts and stuff, in one month, I spoke at 17 events. Probably shouldn't have done that. It was a lot. And so I think a lot of just speaking wise, there are so many opportunities. Again, podcasts, online conferences, streaming, video creation. The internet is is an amazing thing. And obviously this whole pandemic and quarantine and everything is terrible. But the fact that it happened now in this era of technology can handle a lot of things. It has made it a lot easier to do a lot of quote unquote, person to person interactions and, and content creation and stuff online. And so I think a lot of DevRel will be that. I think content creation is, is very much where things are heading. And also, I think more niche communities as well. Because Facebook, there's still a lot on there. There's still plenty of developer groups and things, but Facebook just isn't as popular anymore. And it was kind of the catch all for everything for a really long time. But now you see a lot more very specific forums or discord groups or or small communities where people are just like, oh, this is a specific discord group for content creators who use Jamstack methodologies for web development. Very, very specific, but it's very active and it's full of people talking about the same thing. And then you can go over and you'll find another community where it's Pokemon Go players in Chicago. There's, (laughs) There's all of these different communities online both for professional reasons and also just for for hobbyist reasons that I think are really on the rise. I admit I have been kind of seeing that for a while. And I told myself at the end of like 2019, I was like, you know, I bet this whole online community thing is going to be big. And I went more all in on like my personal discord for my Patreon and stuff. And I, I really see that continuing to happen and grow, especially as more and more people are remote. Yeah. I'm really happy to hear you say that because I've been wondering really kind of what the future for communities is. Like I remember when Dev2 started and thinking like, mm. I don't really know what's going to happen here. And then like just a few months later, it seemed to really take off. And that doesn't seem to me to be very niche necessarily, right? Like that's pretty broad. Right. The niche ones are also they keep getting kind of bigger and bigger. I do wonder how people manage that, like just as far as information intake goes. But True. Yeah, I've definitely had to mute some on occasion when it's a lot, but I think that's on the rise and and will only get bigger. And Dev.2 is such a good example of, yes, they aren't as specific anymore. They're pretty broad, but they were really built with developers in mind. Something like Medium was built for the average person who wants to read a blog post or write one. But with Dev.2, they added all kinds of things like canonical URLs and web monetization and pulling in different RSS feeds or allowing people to subscribe to your posts or theming even or, and, and specific types of code blocks and embeds with code pen and, and stuff. There's so many things that they have built into the platform because they want it to be for developers who write. And I think they were really successful with that. Yeah. Do you think developers should write? I do. 
I think learning in public is a really, really good way to force yourself to keep learning. Well, if you're not a good writer, then you suck. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, if you're, if you're not a good writer, I mean, writing is a practiced thing. I I think for speaking, for writing, for anything, the more you do it, the better you get at it. If you talk to me 10 years ago and you told me that I would be doing public speaking for a living, I would laugh in your face. It's something that took a lot of practice. I'm a very introverted person who happened to start speaking because of school things. And then it it became a thing in my career. And uh, same thing with writing. Like writing was something that I kind of liked. But then one of the on-campus jobs I had in school ended up being a blogging job. And then I started blogging when I graduated. Then I started blogging for every job that I had. And it just became a thing. And so it truly is a practice thing. And just because you're not good at it now doesn't mean you shouldn't start. I couldn't have said it any better. And I mean, it was obviously a leading question, right? (laughs) (laughs) But I think that a lot of times, you know, especially kind of when we were first starting out and doing way more kind of outbound recruiting, asking authors to write, some of those developers had never written before really. And so they were, Mm -hmm. or a lot of trepidation around kind of like, I'm not really any good at that. And there was two things. One was, you know, well, we have editors. And at the time it was the we was just me that can help. But also it doesn't have to be Shakespeare. Like you will get better the more that you do it till you get to the point where it's at the very least you'll be functional. And I think everyone should do that. You know, whether you're a developer or not, you should try to write. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of times some of the best tech blog posts are here's this code snippet. Add this line. Look, this is what that did. Yep. So sometimes those are some of the best posts. There was a post that I wrote for myself, again, because most things I do for myself until I make it public, where it was just like adding some kind of like keyboard command in React to do a certain thing. All that blog post was, was this is the library you install, add this line, and then make sure you watch out for this. I go back to that blog post all the time. And that's Mm. something that I wrote for myself, I think, in 2013. And it's something that I found useful then. And it truly didn't have content besides look at this, make sure you don't forget this. And I think that's a good way to tell developers you don't have to be afraid to start writing blog posts. Just put your code in there and comment it. Yep. One of the worst things you can do is turn your tech posts into kind of like the recipe trope where it's yes. like, here's my whole thing. And then like, just nope. like I had a niece once who went off to friends. <laughs> right. Anyway, this is how I learned Vue.js. Yeah, right. It's, it's- right. And nobody cares. And you can kind of say like, okay. And I understand it. I mean, look, a lot of the ways that people kind of read the blog or really any of the internet is you scroll and look for a heading that's interesting to you. So like, right. you're not reading the whole post. Which isn't to say like you shouldn't do a good job on the whole post, not just one the heading that you think yeah. is maybe. No, I admit I, I make some of my posts pretty snarky in between just because I know there will be maybe three people who actually read the snarky <laughs> jokes and stuff. And then the ones who don't, they'll just get their technical content like they want. And I have more fun writing it that way too. <laughs> Again, I can, there's that little Easter egg there. Like if that goes out and it ends up in a weird tweet, then you know that they read it and go, okay, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Like I I did a blog post last month where it was about children and React, just React children. And I kept just throwing in the line, like, again, we're talking about React children, not human children. (laughs) Human children are weird too, though, right? And just kind of kept making little jokes about kids in general. And again, I think maybe three people pointed out the jokes that I wrote in there. But to them, I was like, yes. And to everyone else, they got got their code. Yeah, that sounds about right. Again, it's it's very self-affirming that we're not alone to mm-hmm. just do the same kind of things when writing content. 
So we talked about going forward, you're looking to automate things for yourself mm-hmm. for the rest of the year. Is there anything else you're looking for? I want to end on, a, on an upbeat sort of happy note. What are we excited about for this year? I am very much looking forward to actually picking up some of the projects that I've been wanting to do for a while. Like one thing that I did last year, and, and again, a lot of stuff had to be put on pause because of pandemic things, but I kind of set up a list of projects that I eventually want to do. And I actually got some of them done and, and some of them weren't even techie. Like I ran my first Kickstarter project and it was manufacturing board game sets. And it was such a learning experience. Granted, manufacturing became a nightmare in a pandemic, but I loved doing it. And I was so happy that I got to be able to finally do that project that I'd been wanting to do for years and I just hadn't done it. And I have more of those this year. And one of them is actually almost done. Like I'm hoping to finish it in the next couple of days. And these are projects that a lot of them are very, very small, like updating my to-do list app and stuff. But it's things that I've put off because I've prioritized travel and prioritized all kinds of different events and prioritized work, really. So I'm really looking forward to trying to take advantage of this year, because even though we don't know where things are heading because of COVID and and everything like that, I know that a lot of the stuff that I would normally be tied up with is on pause. And so as a result, I can take advantage of this time as much as I can to try to do some of the things that I've been putting off for one reason or another. Awesome. That was really well put. (laughs) I don't think I could have done a better job there. I would have had a hard time thinking of something equally as... What are we looking forward to for 2021 for me? I don't know. It's a big question mark in the world right now. But Mm. again, the question mark is something that we can try to take advantage of in different ways. Well, I think that's it for us. Thanks. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was a fun time. Hey, it's Brian again. So it turns out that running a podcast is maybe harder than we thought. And so I kind of want to hear from you. I'm genuinely interested in your feedback. We have to think about new topics, new guests. We have to find them. And don't get me wrong, we can do it, but it's a lot easier if everyone else who's listening helps. So if you'd like to suggest a topic or volunteer to be on PodRocket, we'd like to hear from you. So you can do that by going to podrocket.logrocket.com slash contact hyphen us. The hyphen is next to the delete key if you're curious. If all of that is too long, you can just email me directly, brian at logrocket.com. That'd be great. Also, if you're feeling magnanimous, be sure to like and subscribe to PodRocket. Thank you. Thank you.